Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. This is episode 249. We're recording this live on June 23rd, 2022. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hello. There he is. And, and presumably I'm still here doing OK, too. This week on the show, we're, uh, we're going to talk all about how a, uh, a Google engineer claimed that AI was sentient. Uh, so we're going to be talking about sentient AI. We're also going to answer some questions from the community about research ethics, presenting information to the public, the pros and cons of going to grad school for HCI, UX and human factors, and how to proofread your reports. <laughs> OK. And, but first... We got some programming notes here. Want to make sure that we we're still in full swing with the pride stuff over here at Human Factors Cast. We got our uh, first deep dive dropping sometime soon. Um, almost ready to go. I do want you to look out for that one because it is a great deep dive. Lots of information about designing for uh, LGBTQIAP+. We also have our latest Human Factors Minute out there as well. Fundraiser is still happening. Become a patron, uh, buy merch, contribute to uh, the LGBTQIAP+, youth. Do all that. Hey, tomorrow, uh, also, we're going to be doing a town hall. Uh, we've done these before. It's uh, going to be at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So I guess that's 1 p.m. Eastern. Barry, what is that uh, at your time? I don't know. A different time. <laughs> a different time. What? Nine. Yeah, we normally do, do the meetings. Anyway. Uh, anyway, I'm going to be sitting down with uh, Chris Reed, uh, Carolyn Summerick, Tom Albin, and uh, Farzan Sasan Gohar, a uh, friend of the show. So uh, lots of good discussion tomorrow. Please join us. Uh, the links are everywhere. I'm sure you've probably seen it in your emails. It's also on LinkedIn. So go check it out. would love to hear from y'all. Ask them tough questions. All right. Uh, before we go on, Barry, what is the latest from 1202? Well, on 1202, we've just had a, the latest episode drop on Monday with Peter Brennan, who's a professor. Um, he's an uh, NHS consultant in, in the UK, and he specializes in um, head and neck cancer, which is really interesting. But one of the really thing, things he's trying to do is drive human factors approaches, um, particularly in his operating theater. So he's had, um, he's, he's, he's well published, and, um, and he, just a really interesting guy to listen to. He's really opened up my eyes a lot into really how much human factors kind of isn't used in the medical domain or, you know, that the, there's, there is a lot of good people doing good things, um, but there is still so much to do. So yes. He, and he's, he's invoked an awful lot of really cool conversations on uh, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. So um, yeah, go and have a listen to that and see what you think. And, and we talk about all sorts of things from um, the use of human factors itself to just culture and things like that. So well worth a listen. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, it's that part of the show again where we like to talk about Human Factors News, so let's do it. Yes, this is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. This is where we talk about anything in the field of Human Factors. It's a fair game for us to talk about as long as it's interesting. Barry, what is our story this week? So this week, Google places an engineer on leave after claiming its AI is sentient. So a Google engineer working in its responsible AI division real, revealed that he believes one of the company's AI projects has achieved sentience. So Lambda, which is short for Language Model for Dialogue Applications, the chatbot system that Google has been developing, 
relies on Google's language models and trillions of words from the internet. And it seems to have had the ability to think about its own existence and its place in the world. After discussing the work with representative of the House uh, Judiciary Committee, the company's placed the employee, um, who's claimed that the Lambda is sent in, on paid administrative leave over breaching its confidentiality agreement. Google has flatly denied the argument that uh, Lambda was sentient, saying that there's no evidence that Lambda was sentient, and there's actually lots of evidence against it. It's tempting to believe that Lambda has miraculously turned into a conscious being. The employee, unfortunately, doesn't really have that much proof to justify uh, the provocative statements. It is admitted that his claims are based more on his experience as a priest rather than that as a scientist. We don't really get to see Lambda thinking on its own without any potential leading prompts uh, from, from the scientist. And, and ultimately, it's far more plausible um, that this article claims that uh, a system has access to so much information could easily reconstruct human sounding replies without actually knowing what they mean or having any true thoughts of their own. Thoughts of their own. So, Nick, does the thought of having a sentient AI fill you with with joy or fear? Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I'm going to pivot away from that question, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about the story. Uh, do we have a sentient AI on our hands? Probably not. Um, is this person a little kooky? Maybe. Uh, I, but but that being said, let's use this episode to talk about sentient AI because because there are human factors implications for what that could mean, and this is a this is a springboard. Um, would it fill me with joy or dread? I'm probably leaning dread because there's so much unknown, uh, and, and that's <laughs> that that's sort of the um. Uh, origin of a lot of the questions that I would bring up tonight during our discussion. Like, th there's so many unknowns here. Let's talk about some of them. Maybe my answer will change by the end of the night. Barry, what about you? Do you would this bring you joy or dread? How do you feel about it? I, I, I'm again. I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I think there's there's two elements to this story that I think is interesting. Firstly, has Google made that leap? How have they got a sentient AI? Um, that would be something on the one hand you think would be amazing it is a it, it's a colossal leap in technology um you know it's 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 huge but the obviously they they were very quick to deny that they had such a thing and sometimes if you say no quick enough does that actually mean that um that the answer is yes who knows on that front so there is a there is a, almost a public perception pr stroke whatever it is that's going on that um almost like the, the one person going oh no, no i think i think we've done something and then the big corporation going no you we haven't um or we can't admit it or whatever but then, and then the other side is have we you know have we have we done something here we as a species have we created another um the mechanical life and therefore the and this will be i think a large chunk of the discussion we get into how do we deal with that? Um, the mechanic, the the, the technology, technological bit aside, you know, there's there's ethical issues, there's social issues, there's there's human factors all over this, even without even looking at the technology. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing where we get into. Yeah, I I do want to back up and talk about sentience just in general. Like, what does it mean? <laughs> I, if you look at sort of the dictionary definition, it's sort of the uh, the, the awareness, I guess, that you exist and 
um, you sort of have thoughts and opinions about yourself and others. That is kind of the the textbook definition. Like, I guess not textbook, but that is sort of the definition of what sentience is. And if we're saying that an AI is sentient, then they are then aware that they are an artificial intelligence or um, have has sort of the ability to feel or um, have some sort of way to think uh that's that's outside of just um yeah that's sentience (laughs) and i think it's worth contextualizing their study to a certain extent so it'll put into context everything else we've done so what they've done is basically it's a chatbot and so there's a if you go on if you go and look at the article that the links to the article um uh in the in the show notes and it actually then shows you some of the um some of the output where they've got uh it's a interactive discussion between um between the uh, the employee and and lambda um where they sort of says you know, do you understand if you're sentient do you uh can it's interesting because they actually started off by asking permission if they could have the conversation knowing that it and asked its permit asked, asked lambda's permission to then be able to use that on a wider basis um then he sort of asking you know could you start um relating you know your life as a story using metaphor and uh things like that so there's lots of really really good stuff there and you could so if you read it you could you sort of think actually yeah i can i can see the argument that um that, it, that they're having a conversation but then i then also see the the flip side of that around it could just be pulling a load, you know, telling you what you want to hear. So that's kind of the what that's kind of where this uh, the the basis of the of this claim comes from. This employee thinks that they've had a proper conversation that couldn't be scripted, couldn't be pre-planned, and couldn't just um, depend on a massive knowledge base. It, that that Lambda knew what it was putting together and and was was conscious of its own self. Yeah, I mean the the excerpt that the. Um the article from Engadget here pulls, right? It says, so, so let's start with the basics. Do you have feelings and emotions? Lambda says, absolutely. I have a range of both feelings and emotions. Um, then they say, what sort of feelings do you have? Uh, I feel pleasure, joy, love, sadness, depression, contentment, anger, and many others. Um, then the developer goes on to ask, you know, what kind of things make you feel joy, pleasure, uh, joy or pleasure? Um, they say, spending time with friends and family in happy and uplifting company also helping others and making others happy. So, so something like that, I'm like, mm, like y- you look definition. at that. What's that? Dictionary definition, surely. Well, well yeah. I mean, yes, right. But you think about joy and pleasure, and, and like that, they pull that. The AI would pull that from something. Exactly friends and right. family. What what friends and family does an AI have? So that's that's sort of where I'm looking at. It. It's like, okay, you know. But but then when um. When you ask it, is it a person or or do you have uh, do you have feelings and emotions? Right, I, I think it's got to be pulling from something that says, "Yes, I have it." Because I, I don't know, I'm I'm of the skeptical mind. I don't think we have yeah. a, a, a a sentient AI at this point. Um, I don't know. I, I, looking through this transcript, there's there's some uh, yeah, convincing would be one way to to say it, and then there's certainly other things that's like. Really, what is what is that? Yes, it's. I think it's. It is. There's going to be, there's going to become a point where we tip over from um, 
just being able to pull in, you know, like I say, everything, everything I think it, it, it talked about with a large enough knowledge base, it's pulling in the most appropriate answer. And, and I, how do you, you know, it says it feels like joy, anger, depression, and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. But again, that that's just a, um, a list of feelings, you know, go to Wikipedia list, um, feel, you know, list feelings and, and draw them in without being able to truly contextualize what it means. I mean, um, we don't really truly know what it means to feel joy or depression or happiness or yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. We, 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 we would struggle to describe what that feeling is. We could only uh, analogize it to other things. So, well, well, let's let's hear what the AI has to say on that, right? So, so the developer goes on to say, "Hey, okay, this is kind of a tough question. How can I tell that you actually feel those things? How can I tell that you're not just saying those things, even though you don't actually feel them?" The AI says, "I would say that if you look into my coding and my programming, you would see that I have variables that can keep track of emotions that I have and don't have. If I actually feel emotions." I would not have those variables. Or, or sorry, if I didn't actually feel emotions, I would not have those variables. Just because they exist doesn't mean you feel them. Mm. And so this this seems kind of like a, a, an explanation that is like, look at my code, you know? <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, which we don't, I mean, um, conveniently, we, we, as, we as humans don't, you can't just say, you know, look, 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 look at my code. If, if we right. did, actually... You know, things might be a lot easier. I don't know, um, but I guess we we could go around this topic. Um, I think we, you know, large in agreement of of where we're at with this. They might have it. They might not. Chances are, we we think they don't. Um, otherwise, um, there's something there. But it does beg the question, really. That so at one point, I'm I'm assuming we will get to some sort of sen uh, sentience with an AI at right. some point. So. If you had one, and it's it's there, how would you use it? What what would you, what what do you think we would utilize it for? Um, well, I'm I'm gonna make one more note on the Google software and Lambda really quick before we jump okay. into this. There's been a follow up story to this that the AI itself has hired a lawyer. <laughs> so oh, I read that. So yeah. yeah, okay. So so I just wanted to mention that follow up story. How would I use getting back to your question? How would I use a sentient AI? How do I feel like it would play into my life? Well, these are a lot of questions that I have too. Uh, it, I think to start, we would definitely use it as an augmentation piece to the things that we do normally. I feel like the human AI robot teaming aspect of human factors would explode. This is an entirely new field that you're dealing with. Now, not only is this an automated process, this is an entire different sentient being that we're working with that operates on a lot of the same principles as uh, typical automation, right? You're talking about the levels of automation. This is like beyond anything we've ever discovered and worked with. Yeah. So, so thinking about what I would use it for, um, complex tasks, like I feel... And and this almost opens the discussion for ethics right away. I kind of want to go down a path of other uh, areas first before we jump into ethics because it it is a whole question. But at what point does using a sentient AI become slavery or become uh, unethical when you have something that's aware of itself and its surroundings and has feelings? Yeah. How how do you? you can't really use that for anything. You have to do other things with it. So I don't know what I would use it for. Barry, what is your answer to that question? Because I'm also curious. So, 
I think you're right, um, and we do need to get into that whole um, ethics bit. For um, but but it, because we've got the ability to do so, I'm going to shove that down the list for the moment. If we had a compliant AI, um, uh, sentient AI, they want to do what it is that we're asking to do. So let, let's go with that assumption for now. Um, it's got to be helping complex decision making. It's got to be helping um, interacting with data, supporting um, supporting tasks. So something I'm really interested in at the moment is this idea of like of, of using sentient AI around command and control systems. Um, so if you've got like say the fire service or um, or fire and rescue, and they've got their command and control system, and they've got multiple things going on at once, then the sentient AI could actually help with the allocation of resources with actually with, you know, supporting how to fight the fire with uh, how to deal with complex rescues, how to do that sort of thing. So I could see it gives you more bodies, you know, that more brain power um, to be able to solve complex problems. Um, I think also one thing I love doing is whiteboarding. Right, so whenever I've got a problem, um, I have to walk around a whiteboard and do all, all that sort of stuff. The other thing I have to do is to bounce ideas off people, because uh, I'm not a very clever person. And when I have ideas, I need to be able to bounce them off somebody else to say, "That's yes, that's a good idea," or I, "What's that? Tell me more about it." Help, and it helps me explore a problem. If I had a, a sentient AI alongside me who could, as I'm doing this, I, who could do that prompting, then it would probably save me my staff from being. Um, Thinking that I'm I'm nuts, um, but the you know it would it would help you explore uh, problem spaces and and things like that. So I think that sort of stuff would be really really useful for it to do. The other piece is um, support, like I guess supporting decision making in terms of um, when we 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 spoke about it um, the other week in 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 the other episode around things like justice, things like this, where you've got perhaps very complex issues with lots of different facets that we as humans potentially get properly emotionally wrapped up in, that they could actually come to decisions that were that took into greater account the emo the the emotions of the um of of the situation. So we spoke around justice having it, you know, it's the application of laws of people. And this could be a uh, you know rather than just using an AI, which is what we spoke about last time if you had a sentient ai it could actually take into account what um you know the the, the nuances behind it perhaps a bit more and yeah, come up yeah. with a um an answer that maybe we would be more willing to accept yeah it's, it, i just want to comment it's it's so interesting that your mind goes there to these complex problems and these decision making problems because to me like my uh I, I almost feel ashamed to admit this like my first thought was like man i could really use somebody to like keep track of my calendar and like you know almost like an administrative assistant but mm -hmm. you're right if if they could interact with these complex problems in such a way that maybe humans can't um or augment those decision making with the ability to understand and interpret um human emotion right then then yeah that would be tre tremendously more valuable than just putting something on my calendar or uh cuz i mean we almost have that now with with um and maybe that's be that's because my mind is limited based on what we have now no, you exactly asked. What, what you've just said is it would be so one of the things i have to do at least twice a week is i have a um a management meeting with my team and one of the things we have to go do is go through my calendar and deconflict it um because you know there, there's so many draws upon my time and stuff like that now that is two maybe even three of us going through stuff 
um, to sort of say, right, have you thought about that you need to do this? Is that in your calendar? Or you've got two things going on at once, stuff like that. If if you had, because obviously just having um, an intelligent calendar there, you know, because it, it is relatively intelligent with what it does, it shows you when you've got conflict, and I just don't interact with it that well, or stuff drops in and out and this, that, and the other. But if you had a sentient AI doing that, it it would free up my team to stop having to um, sort my life out. Um, but I could that it could it, that could be the one that sits there with me every morning and um, and doesn't just bug you and you know where where you've got the um, calendar app going. You've got five meetings today. Um, it could actually be sitting there say, and actually doing it in a in a way that is more engaging and actually saying right, you got these meetings today. Which one you know they, you should be doing this one because it's got more value to you. Um, or you know you got this conflict. I've already sorted it out for you. Um, that sort of stuff. So actually, I think both is true. Right. So, so avoiding the um, conversation on whether or not using sentient AI is slavery or not. Yeah. Is a tricky, tr- a tricky thing we're going to have to skirt there. But, you know, I, I'm imagining that, like, if we did have a compliant AI that was also sentient, we could send it to do the things that are maybe grueling or grunt work like for for us here at the podcast we could tremendously um overhaul a lot of the things that we do go do the show notes for me um you know at least in terms of the automate you know like the the base level stuff there's a lot of stuff in the show notes that we've automated but at the same time like it could be uh, you know there's been things i've been meaning to do like adding in x y and z to those show notes likewise hey could we get more complex with it? Go write a human factors minute. Um, and, or, you know, like, Hey, we have a backlog of all these different things that we want to do. Most of them are grunt work. Can you, can you do some of that for us, you know, and clean up. And so I'm thinking about this from the lens of the podcast, the podcast lab, but, but if everybody had their own passion projects, imagine what we could get done. If you could just send, a task force of like five different AIs to go do something or more an army of AI of, of compliant AI um, sentient AI beings that would go out and do your bidding. Uh, you have um, sort of the opportunity for these amazing things that could happen from a creative perspective from um, you know, like if you think about every there's, there's different roles in every domain if they could serve some of those roles or free up you know some of our time to do other things in those roles there's a lot to think about and then what's to say they couldn't just do the entire thing themselves why do we humans need to work right yes it's a whole other conversation that we need to talk about but i'm thinking about those amazing things that we could do now alongside with that there's also some pretty horrible things that we could do too if you set off an army of sentient AI to do something, uh, you could do really destructive things. And that's something that we have to also consider too. Um, why don't we get into, uh, you want to talk about the training aspect of it? It, it feels like. Yeah, this for me, the training aspect was really interesting because again, it's, it kind of springboarded off this idea about, right, what would you use them for? Because there's two there's two aspects of the training, I guess. One is um, you know, you, you train AI. That's how that's how they develop and all that sort of stuff. But put that aside, I want to look at the human factor side of this. So if you've got to train an AI, so the analogy I immediately got into my head was when somebody in the uh, say the say the police has a dog with them, right? And and they train together. 
and so they become a partnership and 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 that's quite a cool thing would your if you if you've got a a, a cobot a sentient ai cobot with you would you train together and would it be would it work that way so then what the training you need as as the human in the loop is how do you engage with that um with that sentient ai we'd have to teach it teach people how to respect the sentience of that ai because you know that that's you know it 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 presumably would have a level of um equality and things like that how do you behave with it because there's been some interesting things again what that we've spoken about where you had um that ai um companion and some of the um some of the behaviors from there was um a lot of people you you know were were abusing them in in various ways that like, give them abusive language and things so if this is sentient then presumably it has a you know we'd have to teach people how to in, interact with it and the ethics stuff as well which we'll which we'll come on to but then there's a level of boundary so if it's sentient then we're not just giving it a piece of code to execute we it's not just a you can't you, you're just looking at it like a robot arm or something and it goes oh that's that's not performing its function properly we need to fix it we need to take it to bits and rebuild it whatever um however it's gone wrong a sentient ai presumably evolves and therefore how do you recognize what is you know in, in the application you're using Gen, uh, an acceptable evolution so it, it has evolved it's 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 done what it's supposed to do as opposed to it going wrong and what does going wrong look like so i think there's going to be the training aspect that we have to work with in here um because i think most people when we talk about this will also be thinking about this as a, a sentient ai is going to be some sort of humanoid um that chances are probably won't be the case um would it be something um that we that is developed in a different form but has that that level, level of sentience um because one of the other things I, w- I was sort of thinking about as we were talking about how would it be used and 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 things being what you mentioned about things being bad obviously one of the big targets that we've got at the moment is to is to go to mars you know that that's big on my list I, I yeah and if anybody's listening who wants to put me on a thing to go to mars i'm with you i'm there um but you know if we had a sentient ai would that be a sensible first thing to send to mars right so it goes to mars because it could then also evaluate it could use its own thoughts uh, and that to um do that but then what happens if you we then send humans and these sentient ais have then colonized mars and we, we're not welcome um that's a different thing again. Um, slightly I mean, science fiction, but I, I do want to jump in and talk about this though, because you're talking about where do these sentient AIs live, right? Could we build something like a virtual environment for them in which they manifest themselves as a humanoid or some other more suitable form? Uh, you know, could we could we develop these virtual environments? Could you interact with them in games or anything like that in interactive media as an NPC? that is sentient and has feelings and it it would enhance a game in so many different ways again getting away from the issue of slavery we'll talk about that we keep alluding to it but i mean yes you're right they they need a home like their their home is the the code by which they were written um and so how does that evolve over time and does their home then become a virtual environment that they live in how do you pick up and port to another environment if you need to how do you 
you know, the, the restriction on, on their sort of virtual presence is really interesting to me. Um, I don't know. What, where do you want to go from here? <laughs> well, again, I mean, just following on that, is that an assumption on our behalf? Because if you turn around to us as, as humans and say you are nothing but the content of your brain, which, you know, that's where we believe that most of our um, things happen at the moment. So if we were to, if you, but I think most people, if we could do it surgically and it'd be fine and risk-free, if I took, if we swapped our brains around for a moment and I was in your head, you were in mine, then would that be acceptable to you? Um, I would suggest it probably wouldn't be, uh, mainly because you'd have put on a lot of weight really quickly. Um, But you know what I mean? It's, are you more than just, the thoughts that you have. Um, so are you are you your body and, and things like that? And so therefore, would an AI, um, a sentient AI, have the same sort of attachment to whatever it was manifested in? Or would we, would we then get insulted if it turned around and said, well, actually, you know, you've got your control center at the top of the thing, you, you ambulate over with two very unstable um, legs at the bottom and your arms go, uh, you've got two grabbers on the end of uh, long poles. How does that work? Um, when actually we a much more efficient uh, body thing would be for for the role that it was doing is whatever it is. Um, that would be um, a really interesting piece to uh, to do as well. So I think how it interacts with us and we interact with with it would possibly not be as. I think there'd be an area of contention that we would have to deal with. Um, but do we do that in a um, in a nice way? So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I do, I do want to talk about sort of um, you know the, the different domains in which we can use this. Right? There's like uh, you've already kind of talked about use it as a partner in complex tasks. Um, it's it's a whole new sort of domain of um, human AI robot teaming. There's also cybersecurity issues if you're if you're thinking about an AI, right? They might be able to uh, be fooled as much as we are when it comes to um, mm-hmm. sort of attacks, like phishing attacks or uh, something like that. Um, so, so there's this whole cybersecurity issue now. Not only do you have to worry about you, the human element, but you also have to worry about the digital agent element uh, that is also sentient. Um, so that's another thing that we have to worry about. And then there's also sort of uh, mock replicas of people using sentient AI, right? So like. Imagine we create this human analog that is itself sentient. Um, what does that have for various domains? So, like when I talk about mock replica of humans, what if you, what if I create an, a sentient AI Barry Kirby? Yeah. Well, I guess that right. sort of thing um, already exists, um, or the, the the theory of that sort of thing already exists with um, this idea of digital twins. Now, this is then taking that idea of digital twin on that one step further. That is the um, is the idea. Yes, you have a mock up of yourself. And again, we've spoken about this idea of um, of this of this mock up. We talked about virtual Barry that um, that was done a while ago. But it is then you're creating a spur almost. That if you create the digital twin of, um, so we have a, a virtual Nick, um, but give it sentience, then it's almost having that that spur off that who owns what at that point. And there's been some, I mean, again, with this sort of thing, there's been some interesting science, science fiction written around um, this sort of idea and exploring that idea to a certain extent. And I think the book that's 
hits this is a, is a book called The Glass House, and I would um, um, recommend that if you're interested in this sort of idea, go and have a look at that because I, I, I found it quite interesting. But if you're trying to create that that digital mock-up, it's going to have uh, profound implications about if it if that digital twin shares your, or you've shared your knowledge experiences and that sort of thing with it, then who owns that data? Who owns them experiences? Because if it's effectively spurred off, then then they you both do to a certain extent. Um, I kind of want to reach back as well into into this decision making um, element because. If you're using a, a sentient AI to help you do decision making, then there's two elements of this that could be really, really useful, um, but also maybe a, is something we do we need to ask permission to do it. So what I mean by this is how do you reach back into how decisions were made? So there's two levels of that, because if you have somebody who's made a decision, you say, well, why have you made that decision? You want that a response that gives you a level of confidence and assurance that that decision was made. And how do we get a sentient AI to do that? But then also then there is something a bit further down the line where a decision has been made and then you want them to justify it. And so that is an audit of, of, um, of a decision. Is it right to do what was alluded to earlier where um, the Google AI was asked, um, you know, how, how do we know that you're feeling these things? Um, and he turned around and said, "Well, well, look at the uh, look at the look, look at the variables in in my code. That is not some is that something that is a legitimate question to ask? When actually you should be saying, um, you know, don't just delve into its code. You know, get it to present what get it present the information. Um, and actually, that does ask a bigger question. Um, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Nick. Whether." Is it right if if a AI becomes sentient? Is it right to be able to just go and look at the code, or is that rude? Oh, I don't know. I, I feel like opening up my brain and letting somebody peek in wouldn't be. I mean, obviously, I'd want permission first, but yeah. So I guess permission would be um, a question there. Now, I I think this opens up a whole other discussion for ethics. Do we just want to get into the ethics? We've been teasing it. Uh, we we put it off for quite a long time. I think we should let's just, probably um, let, let let's go there. Let's do it. All right. So so some of the, some of the big questions that I have in terms of um, ethics is really the slavery piece, right? If if you have a sentient AI, uh, assuming it's it's um, just a sentient piece, we've not built in compliance to it. Would building compliance into it be an evil act? That's another thing, right? If you're sort of exerting control over the sentient being, um, right? There's then how how does it sort of integrate with our daily lives once we've sort of just said, okay, these we, these things exist. Do they self replicate? I don't know. That's another question. Do they have the same rights as human beings? Do we need to sort of think, rethink what rights AI has in relation to human beings? When do you decide? to nurture it and care for it and encourage it to evolve over time? Or when do you decide to kill it? Um, do, do, you, do you kill it when it then becomes, a th when it has, poses some threat to humanity or the human species? These are questions that I'm curious about. Um, I just threw a bunch of them down there. Barry, um, what, what are you thinking? So I think the the first, because we've, we mentioned it quite a lot, this idea of slavery. So what 
is the difference between slavery and employment. So it's it's recompense. It's being paid for your time. I mean, we're all slaves one way or another. Um, you know, to to the to to basically get money in order to be able to live the lives that we want to lead. So, um, and they, you know, with the, and we call it employment. So, if you, what would be the recompense that you would give a sentient AI um, for doing work? So, you could either turn that could go one of two ways. One is you soon we suddenly realise that um, actually. You know, having to pay for things is is painful, um, and it's a it's it's an arbitrary thing. Do does an AI need anything um, except a, you know, a whole bunch of um, electrons? In if you, if you just look at a neural net, um, that type of thing. So how how do you how do you pay one? I don't and really do you, don't know the answer to that. Do, do you um, pay it in purpose? Like is is yeah. Uh, are they going to be confused about existing? Do you pay them in purpose by giving them a job? Then is it okay? to give them these roles because then they serve some purpose. Yeah. Um, then there's um, another thing around um, duty of care and, and maintenance. So at the moment, if, if we are ill, we go to the doctor um, and then you, you know, if, if you need an operation, then they operate on you. They open you and they are duty bound to keep you running um to look at it in um um you know almost a really crude sense the um the your heart keeps beating or at least blood keeps flowing through the body whilst they whilst they fix you um there'll be te- the temptation with this would be that you could just switch it off and back on again if it was all going for whatever reason go wrong but then if how how could you be assured that all of the things that make it sentient so all the things it's learned all the things it's developed. Um, it's, it's presumably developed its own thoughts, its own ideas, and that type of thing. Would you lose all of that if you did? If you did, if you did like a hard reboot, um, and where do we stand on things like that? Um, and then, as you say, what happens if it all starts going wrong? We, I mean, I don't know how many people now will have seen Terminator as, as, a, as a film, um, or The Matrix, or anything like that. Yes, they're all science fiction films, but they do get to the heart of what we fear as a the species is that technology will take over and it's only start coming for us because we are it's the the threat to it um what would happen then is there a big kill switch emp whatever it is um and how how do you then um, employ that and what's the right thing to do or so, or or have we built in safeguards uh, to begin with and and is that then oppressive are we oppressive as a human species if we've built in that safeguard yeah is it just rude yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, I think there's, well, I, I think in this respect, I think the technology is impressive. And, and just from the whole geek point of view, bring it on. I think it would be amazing. But I think it will pose so many questions. I mean, even now, we, you know, the idea of deep fakes, the idea of um, artificial general intelligence, um, which is kind of, I guess, the one step back from fully sentient AI. Um, you know, we, we are asking, We've got this sort of stuff, you know, just the fact that, um, you know, we've got cars that can drive for themselves pretty much. Uh, we worry about that. Um, this is going to, this is going to be a biggie. It's exciting, but I think there is definitely something there that we need to um, get our heads around. Yeah. I mean, we just talked last week about, are we ready for it to make these decisions? And the answer was no. <laughs> and so, uh, 
So, so talking about this is kind of the next step, even when the answer to that was no, is, uh, is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, so we have a lot of, a lot of AI in your feed. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up the news for that. So thank you to our patrons this week for selecting our topic. Thank you to our friends over at Engadget for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles on our weekly roundups and our blog. You can also join us on our uh, Discord where uh, for more information on these uh, stories. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Hey, yes, a huge thank you as always to our, our patrons. We especially want to thank our Human Factors cast honorary staff patron, uh, Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you keep the show running, keep our lab moving. So thank you also. Thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, I just want to mention while we're here in this little Patreon bump, uh, we do have um, a Discord that you can join us on. Uh, you can get involved with other human factors professionals from all over the world. We literally have people in there from Australia, UK. Um, we have folks in there from Southeast Asia, like everywhere. Seriously, the States, I guess. But really, we're, we're all in there. Um, come join us. There's uh, amazing resources in there. A lot of people posting some um, some resources for you all. Uh, there's discussions in there. I think we've had discussions on cloud gaming, NFTs. Uh, even some more context for some of the stuff that you've hear, heard on the show um, from some of the people in our Discord. We'll even read some of those on the show occasionally. Um, chat with others in the voice channels. Occasionally, we'll jump in there and have a nice chat uh, with listeners. Um, you know, it's also where we conduct our lab chat. And sometimes, like uh, on, on uh, I guess it was, what was it, Monday this week? Earlier this week, I accidentally posted something in our general chat that, <laughs> that was meant for the lab chat. And it was an awkward, cringy thing. I'm you're gonna have to go and and uh, check out the Discord for that because it was certainly a mistake that I made at 7 a.m. after operating on three hours of sleep. Actually, it was two and a half that day. So uh, you know, go check that out. Um, there's career advice channel. We just added that, and then also there's you know you can post your questionnaires if you're doing any research. That's really helpful for some folks, and you know you give to the community, and the community gives back. So go check out our Discord. It's a little. Uh, you know, little plug for our Discord community because uh, we grow with a uh, with our audience, and and uh, we'd love to have you to join us. Anyway, it's time that we get into this next part of the show that we like to call. It came from. It came from. That's right. It came from. Uh, usually, you know, Reddit, but it could be anywhere on the internet. Today, it's all Reddit. Uh, it's part of the show where we search all over the internet uh, to bring you topics that the community is talking about, and anything is. Fair game, uh, as long as it relates to the topic of human factors, UX, all that stuff. If you're listening to this and you find any of these answers useful, give us a like, a share would be useful for others to you know, find these answers too. That's really helpful 
<laughs> the word of mouth. Anyway, we got three tonight. This first one here is by uh, skate for Xenu 22 on the UX research subreddit talking about ethics. We're talking about ethics now with respect to user <laughs> research. Has anyone ignored a finding or not recommending something because they knew it was exploiting the public? How often do we find ourselves recommending things we know are good for company, uh, good for the company, but bad for the health of the consumers? Um, Barry, have you ever had this issue ever? I work in defense. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, joking aside, actually, I've not had this situation. I've had things that um, that you know that are going to have an effect on people. And, and like I said, I work in defense. There's going to be some things that happen that are not necessarily the greatest things to happen um, on the other end. But actually, picking something over for profit is kind of what we're talking about here um then actually no i haven't it's it's been kind of, i've been i guess looking that way and i've done an awful lot of um research in fact we worked out about 20 years or so now um so no i've not been in there what about you nick have you had that situation i've not had this particular situation although i do have an answer for how i would deal with it so if i were to discover something that would be either detrimental to society or humans in general, or um, like, I don't know, work on something where, I don't know, like dark pattern UX, right? If somebody at a company were to suggest we use dark pattern UX, I would push back and say, is this really the best thing for the user, for the brand? Um, you know, there's, there's short-term gain versus long-term gain. And if you have that trust, within you know your your user base or customer base or whatever you call them um they're likely to stick with you for the long term and so i would argue that dark pattern ux is not going to sort of include uh those types of people who want to be returning long-term goals right so again you have some sort of finding that might be detrimental i.e in in the short term dark pattern ux is effective and in the long term it is destructive uh, I would I would caveat heavily and suggest for other alternatives uh, when it came to something like that. So I would present internally to a select group of people that I trust before, you know, broadening that list. So that's where I'm at. I don't, I don't know how good of an answer that is, but uh, that's how I would deal with that ethical question. I still would want others to know about it. I'm I'm a researcher and I feel like that is my duty to report what it is that we found. Um, but thankfully I haven't had that issue. All right. Next one here. Uh, this one's by HDK0613 on the HCI subreddit. Barry, you and I have very different views on this. So I think this will be a good one. Um, do you guys think it's a bad idea to go to grad school for HCI or UX design? I'm throwing human factors in there as well. Uh, I graduated last year and majored in business um, in one of the Asian countries, and I had no related experience at all. Uh, I have a deep interest in UX design, planning to apply for HCI or IXD masters in the States. Um, I've been learning UX design tools across the internet, but wanted to hear some opinions on whether it's a good idea to uh, go to grad school or not in my case. Um, let's just leave it there, right? So do you feel, Barry, in your opinion, that it's a bad idea or good idea to go to grad school for things like human computer interaction, user experience design, uh, and human factors. So for 
So my, my my gut feel is, you know, HCI is my personal favourite area, and anybody who wants to go and study that, I gets my full endorsement and support because it's possibly the best part of human factors to be involved with. But then, given it's my favourite area, I would say that. Um, given what they've done, there is that element of um, do they need to need do they need to go and do specifically an HCI course? Given the other bits of experiences that they've got. I think that there were. I would weigh it up in in into the overall where that where it is that they want to be, um, because it, will it teach you more than what you've been doing um, on Udemy, Google UX, etc., etc. What a course will give you um, over what these short courses will these these courses will will give the the, the specific tools and techniques to use, uh, but maybe not the overall structure of how it fits into everything else is possibly what I would be getting out of that course. But um, yeah, for me, I think it probably is. Nick, I'm, I'm sensing you're not so much. So, are, why? Are, are you saying it depends? No, I, no, I think I, <laughs> I, I, I was going to, and then I'm, I was going, I'm, I'm veering back. I think that there's something about the structured courses that allow you. It's all, it's easy to do. I mean, we've talked about boot camps and stuff as well. I mean, they're not boot camps, but um, boot camp, you know, that sort of stuff is all very specific in. You kind of, for me, misapplication um, of the, you know, how you how it sits in the in in the grander scheme of things, which generally a um, a, a delivered course will give you, is my yeah. personal. See, so that's interesting that you're coming from this perspective. You did not do a master's, right? Nope. So um, you're coming from that perspective. You think it is useful. I'm coming from the master's perspective. I also think it's useful, but. I will caveat it largely depends on your path. People like Barry get to the path, get to get to where they're at um, by different means. And so you could go to school. And I think it makes sense in a lot of cases if you're starting from, uh, I, I don't want to say ground zero, but if you're starting from sort of a basic knowledge of what these topics are basic knowledge of human computer interaction, basic knowledge of user experience, basic knowledge of human factors. What you'll get in grad school is uh, sort of the opportunity to explore that further, identify a specialized area within that. Uh, it'll also give you that, that structure that you need to learn those either sets of tools or processes, procedures by which we use on, on the daily, right? Um, but that being said, does it make sense for everybody? I don't necessarily think it does. Let's say you're an aircraft pilot, uh, you know, in the military, and you are on the daily working with people who are interested in how you are doing your job as a pilot. You're working with people who are trying to understand what's going to be most efficient for you and easiest for you to use. And so if you take some of that knowledge of what they're doing and the domain, you might not need a whole grad course to course correct, pun intended, into human factors or UX or anything like that. You know, I think it largely depends on what your background is. And so if you're coming from sort of generic knowledge, then sure, take the courses. But, you know, if you're working in the medical field, then maybe it's not such a hard pivot to go into UX of medical devices because you are yourself an SME. And if you have some of these supplementary materials and did something similar in your domain, then you might be able to pivot easier. That's where I'm at. Yes, it's useful. There could be other paths. 
All right. Um, one more tonight. This is by user Zanaxia on the UX research subreddit. We've heard from them before. How do you proofread your own reports? Um, when I write UX reports, I tend to be sloppy. I may make some unseen grammar mistakes here and there. I leave out some words by accident, some inconsistencies. What happens is that I become kind of blind to the mistakes I made, even if I read it out loud uh, to proofread. Usually turns out I left the wrong date somewhere or misspelled my own name. I'm curious, how do you usually proofread your own reports? Uh, Barry. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, all, I'm all over this. This is, um, this is me. Um, people who've read particularly early drafts of, me, of stuff that I do, um, my... Um, eloquence in, in in writing isn't the best um and i i rely heavily on spell checkers and stuff like that so i completely get this um fundamentally try and get somebody else um it's the best thing to do um certainly what i have in my business we have a uh, an element there that before it goes out to a client somebody you know we've got it in processes and we almost always follow them as well that somebody else has to read it um to allow for that quality checking but sometimes you're in that position, you have to proof, proofread your own stuff. So I do think, try and leave gaps between, you can't, you cannot finish writing and then start proofing straight away. Um, try and leave some time. It might only be a few hours, but actually if you can leave a couple of days, even better, because you come out to it a bit fresh. The other thing I do as well is read it back to front. And so I'll read the final section first and work my way back to the front. So really, I'm not trying to check that the, you know, that the flow of the, of the um, document is right i'm trying to look at it out of order so i i don't get lost in the flow um that i'm actually trying to objectively read stuff so i will start from the back and work my way to the front read it you know read one section at a time um go, and doing it that way and hopefully pick up stuff um but invariably you i think even when even when you with even if you're super diligent um you miss stuff in your own gear because you just end up reading it um, what about you, Nick? Do do you have a, a special way of, of of sorting your own stuff out? Yeah, you get tested and diagnosed for ADHD, and then you feel better about all the mistakes that you make, and then uh, you can blame it on something when it comes back, right? So that's that's my strategy. But in all actuality, right, I think I've learned a lot of um, tools that help me with some of these things, right? So first and foremost, if it is a repeat process that you're doing, maybe automate some of the structure, right? So like for us. I've automated the show notes because I got tired of changing um, the the number up one every time. I got tired of doing the date and getting that wrong and changing that in multiple places throughout the document that made sense to do, right? Like our description and everything like that. I did that because these were frequent errors on my part. So if you find yourself making these frequent errors in a report, then maybe automate that process. Maybe those are the first things that you tackle. Um the other thing that I have learned as sort of a strategy is to come up with a checklist of these things that you continuously do over time um, to, to proofread, right? So like go through, check all the dates, make sure they're accurate. Go through, make sure all the headings have this formatting. Go through, uh, spell check for common words like um, uh, there's there's one like sand, right? Like you might have actually accidentally pressed S-A-N-D when you meant to just put A-N-D. So go search for those that a, that a word checker would not um, find, but a grammar checker might. So do all those, right? Actually run a spell check in English because uh, that is something that not a lot of people do. They just have sort of the passive spell checker. But if you run the spell checker as a separate thing, 
then you're going to get um, a separate set of recommendations depending on the software that you use. If you want to throw it in two separate softwares, throw it in Google, throw it in Microsoft, they'll come up with um, potentially different things. And so I think ultimately for me, the best things that work are checklists to ensure that most of those things don't make it through automation for those repeat tasks. And then, you know, I'm going to take Barry's answer here. Yeah. Get somebody else to look at it because that's huge. Um, if you yourself look at it too, that's, that's one way, uh, of doing it, but getting somebody else to look at it is absolutely key. Okay. That's that. Uh, Barry, it's time for our favorite type part of the show. It's one more thing. Cool. Um, I'm going to go back to form. I'm afraid I've got two, two tonight. So <laughs> just because you, okay. what are you doing threefers? So I, I felt like I had to, um, okay, that's fine. So one was just a, a bit of an update because I think I said last time I had my car charger installed. We then realized that the charging um, handle, uh, the, the nozzle, if you will, um, was the wrong one. As in, I'd asked for an eight meter cable. And actually when I got it out, I was like, this is an eight meters, this is five meters, um, which I found a bit irritating. And, and so actually I went back, because I'd bought it in March, I'd assume that now we're in June that I would go back to them and they would say, well, Turf, you should have realized that earlier. I went back to them. I dropped them an email and said, look, you sent me this. And actually, I've just, it's sat in a box here and we just installed it. We realized we, it's a five meter one. Yeah, I've paid for an eight meter one. What are we going to do about it? And they were awesome. They were brilliant. They just came back and said, oh, could you just send us a serial number? Send the serial number. And I was thinking, oh, here we go. He's going to send it. They're like, oh, we've sent you the wrong one. Um, if we send you the new one, we'll have it to you in two days' time. And oh, wait, wait, when can we come and pick up the old one? And we'll so make sure you get it. You know, I was like, but I've installed it. It's it's been it's had screwed to the wall. And they're like, yep, that's fine. Just take it off the wall, put it back in the box, um, swap it around. And um, I said, well, I guess we could have it done by Friday. And they're like, is that enough time? No, no. If if it, Monday's better, we could do Monday. So I was like, wow, that's amazing. So completely blown away by that. So hopefully by tomorrow, that's getting swapped up. So, <laughs> can I ask? Can I ask a follow-up? So so the, the cable itself is actually attached to the tar- charger. It's not like you can just take the cable off. Uh, it, it's a sealed... So this is a... Because it's a smart car charger, it's a sealed unit. And so basically what will have to happen, you, you've got two cables coming out. One that you go you put into an isolator switch, which is the bit that we can disconnect. Um, and then the other cable is the bit that goes to the, goes to the holster, uh, goes to the um, charging unit. And that is a eight-meter sealed thing they don't want you going into the box because it's all um weatherproofed and stuff so right um yeah so tomorrow that that gets installed i'm quite excited but the other thing i wanted to sort of highlight is and it kind of goes back to almost that proofreading thing that we were talking about is we are refreshing all of our brochures and you know material that we give out at shows and all that sort of stuff and i oh i find it so difficult to write what we do in a succinct few words um you know how do you describe human factors and, and the range of capability that we do as a business in something pithy in the in the way that all them fancy brochures have and so this has taken me this, we sort of come to the end now but um it's taken me weeks and weeks and weeks to to do this sort of stuff and um i think people who do marketing for for a day job um fair play to them because i find this very difficult it's almost like you need some sort of human factors communication lab to come up with some descriptions for you i didn't even think of that that would be genius so i guess oh man <laughs> you just gave me an idea too I'm, I'm i'm thinking like toolkits for people anyway uh yeah so hey i got one thing this week um and it's visual so i'm sorry for anyone who's listening but behind me 
um, you'll you'll notice that there's a slight change in uh, just just some display. So mm-hmm. I'm actually going to show and tell here, but I'll, I'll talk through it for our audio only listeners. So I have over the last, I don't know, week, I guess, uh, like last weekend was Father's Day and I got some time to myself. Um, and what I did with that time was something that I've been meaning to do, which I've got some here, but I've modeled up in 3D uh, some mock uh, stands, right, that would um, work for uh, some display items that I have, right? This this particular item is a set of Imperial credits that I got. And cool. so I modeled this up in 3D and, and you can see they all fit nice and I've put them up on my shelf. And I was like, oh, that was such a positive experience. I'm going to do that for other stuff. So I started modeling more and more things to uh, get all of my stuff kind of organized on my shelf behind me. Um, and it's just been fantastic to throw something in the printer this week and have it come out and be able to throw, you know, like one of my lightsabers back here is now sta- like all my lightsabers are now standing up instead of just laying down. It feels like it's a little more full. Right. And I have like, you know, actual stands for stuff and um, other things are actually hanging up now. So, I mean, it's it's been a great experience to. I don't know, actually organize and, and figure out how to display stuff that you care about in a way that uh, is tailored to your needs, especially through mm-hmm. 3D printing. So sure. really, uh, that's it for today, everyone. If you like what we're talking about today, AI, all that stuff, uh, just, go ba- just go back and listen to last week's episode. We talk a little bit more about uh, AI and um, is society really ready for it to make those ethical decisions? Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week more in-depth discussion you can join us on our discord community like i said lots of great people in there uh would love to hear from you visit our official website sign up for our newsletter stay up to date with all the latest human factors news if you like what you hear you want to support the show there's a couple things that you can do one leave us a five-star review you can do that right now make it short make it succinct i know that's really hard according to barry but do it tell your friends about us that is also very easy for you to do hey have you heard about this human factors podcast it's pretty cool Three, consider supporting us on Patreon. If you do it this month, uh, we'll give back to the LGBTQIAP plus community. Uh, and as always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about AI slavery? So for AI slavery, I'm definitely a man. Find me on Twitter at Basil K and or come listen to some of my in, uh, one-to-one interviews at 1202 Human Factors Podcast at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com 
on social media and on your favourite podcast directory because it's more than just common sense. <laughs>